Okay, welcome back. Uh, for those of you that are still getting your coffee out in the lobby, hurry up. We're getting into the message. Uh, we're in a series called In God We Trust with a question mark on it. So it reads like, In God We Trust. Like, do we really? So say that with me, In God We Trust. Yeah, the first week we were talking about some uh, pretty, pretty big things. I had some good news and some bad news. The good news is you're rich. The bad news is you're rich. Yeah, you have rich people problems. And uh, we said statements like, uh, every blessing that we don't turn back into praise has the potential to turn into pride. We said things like, God isn't against us having nice things, he's against things having us. Last week we talked about how we all trust something and how we manage our money and how we manage our time will show us who we trust. We use scripture in the Gospels where Jesus says, Wherever your heart is, that's, that's where your treasure is. They're, they're, they're linked. You can't unlink them. Wherever you spend money, wherever you spend your treasure, wherever you do that, that's, that's where your heart is. And so, yeah, it's, this, this is the series that we're in. And so if it's your first time here, your first time in a long time, yes, we're talking about money during this series. We're not trying to be weird about it, though. I, I get why it's weird sometimes in churches to talk about money, but we're actually trying to look at what Jesus has to say, because we believe Jesus redeems all of our conversations and all of our lives. We have uh, Financial Peace University starting today, so if you want to, uh, and leave, leave that on the screen for like another 60 seconds. I've, I got some feedback from folks saying, I wanted to like click the UR code thing with my phone, but it went away too quick, so if that's you and you wanted to sign up for that, you can just you know scan that right there. You can go to our app, you can go to sign-ups, but Financial Peace University starts today. I believe we have a couple more scholarships available, and we also have child care available, so there's like no excuse outside of just making yourself available uh, to something like that. But that's beginning um, uh, today, and we're also doing a different thing on Wednesday nights, which has, this past week was a lot of fun. We're, we're in a conversation around a resource by Sam Wells and St. Martin of the Fields, or St. Martin in the Fields uh, out of London called Being With, and it's a conversation around Christianity and spirituality and, and what that means for each one of us when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus. And so the, the conversation is really the most important thing. You don't have to study to come and be a part of that. Um, we actually have some leading questions and conversations and some scripture that we go into there. And so Wednesdays at 6.30, we got the kids and the youth and we have our Being With uh, course going on as well. Today we're going to talk, uh, if, if you're into titles, the theme of today or the title for today is this, They Just Want My Money. If you agree with that, raise your hand. They just want my money. You know, who, who, who are they? Who are they? Well, what, well, your kids, your kids just want your money. Uh, Walmart just wants your money. Try going into Walmart to build relationships without spending money. Try going, you know, the city of Albemarle, they just want your money. Uh, Netflix just wants your money. The lottery just wants your money. The fundraisers, it's, you know, those little candy bars for the school and the PTA, they just want your money. The church, I mean, let's be honest. And maybe you don't feel like being publicly honest, but maybe you could just like give a cursory head nod to it. Have you ever felt like the church just wants your money? Right? Like every time I go, they try, and today even, I finally come back to church or I finally try to like, like check out a church and what do they talk about? <laughs> money. 
Give me a break about money. The church, and the church especially has an issue with money. The church especially, for several reasons, anytime a church or a preacher talks about giving or generosity or tithing, some of us, and for good reason, have a very bad taste in our mouths. Some of us, for very good reason, have sat under guilt-driven bad teaching when it comes to money. We've sat under teaching where it was all guilt, it was all shame. I felt bad for going and, and buying a meal and not making it myself and spending as what Like, I felt bad for not giving a certain amount that I was encouraged to give. And some of us refuse to talk about it because we've, we've been in churches and we've seen, we've seen it misused. We've seen sin and fraud and untrustworthy pastors and churches with money. For good reason, some of us have a really bad taste in our mouths. We've seen the slick uh, people on TV uh, raising money for their jets or raising money for this or raising money for that and saying things like, if you just send in a seed to this ministry, God's going to do X, Y, Z. And we've seen prosperity gospel. Can I tell you something? Prosperity gospel and those kinds of things, if you're into it, I'm praying for your deliverance because I don't read it in Scripture. I don't see it. What I see in scripture is I see God saying that he is a God of blessing, absolutely. But I don't see in scripture some of the things that I've seen misused in the prosperity teachings. I don't see it. So we, we, don't, we don't preach that here. I'm also not up here trying to make a campaign against any preacher or anybody, but it's understandable why people in the church, why some of you today, may have an issue with the preacher talking about money. Let me say a couple of things just to that end. Our church is governed by an advisory board or a governing board. We have budgets. We have a treasurer. He's sitting right over there. His name's Charlie. He's wearing an orange shirt. He may be trying to be a little inconspicuous right now. That's okay. Nobody likes being called out in front of you people. But we have a treasurer. We have a budget. We have a board that governs these things. We, we have... All of our checks and the money that we spend it is actually dealt with off of our campus. If you come into our office and you want us to write you a check, we, we don't do it because we have that managed by a third party. We have a lot of accountability around our finances around here. We have an annual report that sends out, and we actually track every dollar that's spent and every dollar that comes in. And if you ever have a question about what you give or what's spent, we have a team that's willing to answer those questions. But you know what, what I find is that uh, a lot of times we don't have a lot of questions. A lot of times we just have a lot of criticism. A lot of times when it comes to money, this, this conversation is so personal and so vulnerable for some of us that we would rather come up with our own conclusions about things rather than actually get into the nitty-gritty and talk with the people that we may feel that we have an issue with. So it's understandable why anybody, why anybody in our culture at least, would have an issue around talking about money. It's understandable. So can we just pray together? Because that's, that's a pretty heavy way to start a sermon. Can we just pray together and ask God for his grace and ask his Holy Spirit to work in our lives? God, we, we, again, we give you our lives. 
We give you our understanding. We give you our, our thinking. We submit our concerns to you, our anxieties. Father God, we, we want your spirit to be at work among us. We want to be open to whatever your spirit has to say. So God, we just take a pause right now in the midst of all of this conversation we've been having in this series about trusting you. Because really, when we talk about money, it comes down to this principle of trusting you. And trusting your church. And trusting your people. We want to be proven trustworthy with what you give to us. So we again submit ourselves to you. Knowing that you judge and you raise up and you humble all of us. We love you. Amen. Story time. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 23. In this context, Jesus is having a teaching, a conversation, and he goes into what many people call the woes. Not like the woes, but like the woes. It's more like a bunch of statements that he says to people, you're hopeless. It's, it's not a very encouraging passage of scripture but he has these things and the, the the context and what he's why is he saying this he's talking to a bunch of religious people who were in competition with each other about who's being the better disciple who's being the better religious person who is first when it comes to their piety or how holy or how spiritual they're being they they all have if you remember the old movie talladega nights they have ricky bobby theology Okay, if you're not first, you're last. And even in that movie, Cal says something very true. He says, well, Ricky, you can be second, you can be third, you can be fourth. No, 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 no. They buy into Ricky Bobby theology. If you're not first, you're last. And Jesus is bringing up a list of things in Matthew 23 where he's telling these religious people about their competition with each other. He's saying to them, you're hopeless. Your competition with each other isn't the point. He says things like this, like in verse 15. He says to them, you'll travel halfway around the world to evangelize only to reproduce your own sinful self where you live. Yikes. I'm glad he's not saying this to us. <laughs> he's saying it to these religious people. He says in verses 18 through 22, he says, you religious people, you don't even keep your promises. You're hopeless. You think it's okay to break your word if you didn't swear an oath or make a promise on holy scripture or in holy land like in the temple. He says, you are meticulous. In verses 23 and 24, he says, you are meticulous with your accounting, tithing everything down to your spices, your dill, your cumin, but you withhold compassion from other people and you miss the very essence of God's love. In verse 25 and 26, he says, you're hopeless. You clean and you buff and you wash your dishes, the outsides of your pots, and they look immaculate, but the inside of your pots and your dishes are dirty. They've not been clean. They're filled with maggots and filth. In verses 27 and 28, he says, you're hopeless. 
Woe to you, because you yourself are like a manicured, beautiful garden filled with tombstones and graveyards. The surface is immaculate and trimmed, and the leaf blowers have come out. Okay, the leaf blower in the Greek is not actually there. But he's saying that you have landscaped this perfectly, but underneath the surface you're filled with death. You're like whitewashed tombs, and worms are eating your flesh. Your frauds. And in the middle of all the hopeless talk, in the middle of all the woes, if you, if you, if you just kind of read through it, you, you might miss it. Jesus has a word regarding money. In the middle of all this, it's in those verses about the spices. Here's what he says. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees. He's talking to people like me, preachers. He's talking to people like theologians and professors and bishops and popes and and all the people who wear the the funny hats, you know. He's talking to the religious leaders. He says, woe to you, what sorrow awaits you. And then he says, hypocrites, with an exclamation mark. For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. But you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. And then there's these, these three words there. I don't know if you can, can read them there on the next to the last line of the scripture over on the right. It's before the word yes. There's three words. Can you read those with me? You should tithe. But don't neglect the more important things. If we take this literally, and I know that a lot of preachers may not like preach this this way. But if we take this literally, Jesus is saying that there's something more important than tithing. Tithing, but he also says you should tithe. But he's also saying there's something more important. So a couple things here. Jesus is saying that that, that you should tithe. What's the tithe? Okay, really quick. The tithe is an, an idea we find in Scripture. It's a practice that we find from the Old Testament through the New where people gave 10% of their income to a storehouse or to a church or to temple, to the apostles, 10%. So just really quick Stanley County math, I need to make sure you all understand 10%. If I have $100, 10% of $100 is how many dollars? 10. I knew Stanley County math was, was doing us... Doing us well. Ten. Ten out of a hundred is ten percent. And a little trick, if you're having trouble with percentages, if you have $5,000, just take the first number, and that's related to ten percent in some way. What's ten percent of 5,000, mathematicians? Five hundred. A little bit lower on that one, I understand. There's a lot more zeros. we got to figure it out. But we can do this on our phones as well. We understand what ten percent is. And Jesus is saying, yeah, you should do that. It's understood. It's expected. You should do 10%. 10% is a floor, not a ceiling on giving. Jesus is like, yeah, sure, you should do that. But he's also saying that money isn't the most important thing. If you look at this scripture, if you wouldn't mind putting that scripture back up one more time, the same, the same one from Matthew 23. He says, do not the, neglect the more important things. If we look at that scripture and we just look at the words before that, what would the more important things be? Justice, mercy, faith. 
justice, mercy, and faith. He's talking to religious leaders. He's saying, yeah, yeah, y'all should tithe. Yeah, sure, you should do that. But you're neglecting justice, mercy, and faith. The religious leaders were neglecting faith. This concept of the tithe was defined in practice, especially in the Old Testament. And Jesus never says to anybody not to tithe. He never says stop tithing. You can't find in the New Testament where we're being commanded to abandon the idea of tithing. But he clearly says it's not the most important thing from the law. Jesus also said this in Matthew chapter 5. Don't misunderstood why I have come. I did, not come into, I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to do what? Accomplish their purpose. I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. And if Jesus has fulfilled the law, nothing that I do is going to change that. Nothing. So... The people who usually say amen, you got to lean into this one because this is an amen moment and you missed it. I'm going to give you another opportunity. If Jesus fulfilled the law, there's no way I'm going to change it. Right. Maybe some of you have never heard a preacher say this before, so get your devices ready. Get your tweets ready, if you still tweet. I don't even know. Do they even call it tweeting anymore? Get, get, your, get it ready. Some of you have never heard a preacher say this before. You can't find salvation by following all the rules. You can't find salvation by following, just following the law. And here's the other thing that might be controversial to say. Tithing will not save your soul or damn your soul. Tithing is not going to send you to heaven or to hell. Only Jesus, I got people like filming me like, I got you, I got him. (laughs) Only Jesus, Jesus took care of your soul. Jesus took care of fulfilling the law. So let's rid ourselves of the humiliation and shame behind the idea that we are not loved by God if we, do all, if we don't do the law stuff. Let's, let's remove it. Now, is that saying that the law is bad? No. It's saying that Jesus fulfilled the law. And if Jesus fulfilled it, I, don't, I can't fulfill it anymore. What I can do as a follower of Jesus, is to follow Jesus, to follow his ways, to listen to his teaching, to follow his will. This is the New Testament. This is the new covenant. And it doesn't nullify or make the law completely worthless. What it does is it shows us that Jesus fulfilled it, and that's why we're saved. That's why we're okay. Not because we can do everything right, perfect but because he did but we can't ignore what Jesus has to say about life either we can't ignore the things that Jesus says especially in a series about money when it comes to money so so Jesus knew he knew that we humans are obsessed with money he knew it he knew about capitalism before it ever became a framework for a society 
Jesus knew how close to our heart the treasure or the money is. That's why he said they're, they're, you can't unlink them. He knew that we would be tempted to trust in money more than in him. Over his infinite love, love that never runs out, care that never ends. He knew that we would be tempted to use money as our Savior and our God. So he used money over and over and over as an example because he knew that was such a big hurdle that we're going to have in making him Lord of all. Here's what he said in Matthew 6, 24. We're hanging out in the book of Matthew a lot today. He says, nobody, no one can serve two masters for you will either hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God, you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Some of your Bibles may have a different word there at the end instead of money. It may have the word mammon. Anybody ever heard the word mammon before? It's not a word that we use a whole lot. Mammon is, is actually a great translation of Jesus' words there. And mammon, and again, nobody really uses this word today, but mammon is this idea and this philosophy that we really buy into as people. See, mammon means not just wealth and money, but approval and fulfillment because of what we have. I feel complete and I feel better because of what I have and what I've been given and what I've earned. Some of us at our homes, whether you rent or whether you own, whether you have an apartment or whether you live on acreage, we have lists. Anybody have lists? I've got a list of stuff I want to do in my place, whether it's put in a new cabinet or clean the carpets. We all have lists. Some of you are like smiling and looking down because you're like, oh, I've got a list, preacher. I've got a list, and you know what with my list? There's always something else on the list. Anybody want to just confess and say, yeah, the list is always growing? Anybody? Anybody? Just like four or five of us? The rest of you are liars. <laughs> yeah. The list, as soon as you cross something off, four more things appear on the list. It's this idea that if I can complete, mammon is this idea that a completed list will mean a completed life. It puts our trust and our hope and our quality and our happiness of what life looks like in the list. It's all going to be fine just so we get everything on the list. And that could be getting something done or that could be buying the new, I don't know, fire pit, whatever. I got the list. And that's what mammon is. It's, it's this concept that my being okay is tied to the list and the list takes money but mammon is about so much more than money so the teachings of jesus when it comes to this stuff really boil down to these three things tithing isn't bad as expected we covered that second thing tithing won't damn or save your soul so you're not going to be saved and welcomed in heaven just because you tithe you're not going to be damned to hell just because you don't and this idea that you can't serve both God and money. These, these are the teachings of Jesus. And he, he's, he's really making these teachings such a big deal because everybody wants your money. 
Everybody wants what you have. And you're like, the people in my row, they want my money? Let me tell you something. If you offer a $20 bill to anybody sitting on your row and they don't take it, call me. Because I'll take your $20 bill. Of course. Call, yeah. You'll find somebody that wants money. And, and, and yeah, there may be some false piety of, no, don't give me the $20 bill. Maybe you don't really need the $20 bill. But only, only fools turn away money, right? Why would we turn away free money? And you're like, ah, but there's nothing free, preacher. Ah, but there's always strings attached. Well, what if there weren't? What strings are attached to the gift that God gives us? What strings are attached to salvation? Freedom from sin? Freedom from the power of sin in our life? Why is this stuff so important? Here's why it's so important. Because Jesus wants greater things for your life than for a love of money. Jesus wants greater things for you than than the things that you can even like desire or create or imagine. Jesus has a better imagination than me and you. He, he, He has a better idea. He has a vision of life that is far beyond what we can create. Because you know what? You and I, we will settle. Jesus is relentless with his vision for abundant life. In your life and in my life. Jesus says things like, I came to give you life and more life than you know what to do with. More life and abundant life. And Jesus is going to be relentless. You know what? You know how I know that? I know that because every time I'm faced with this temptation, to go after a lesser life than the life that Jesus promises, I feel a conviction by his Holy Spirit. I feel it. Every time I am tempted to just go after something that is less than what he promised, I immediately start feeling some kind of like gut check. This is important because Jesus wants better things, has better things for our lives than what we can come up with. And this is also important because Jesus knows that unless he is Lord of our lives, unless he is first, that everything else will fall apart. Jesus knows that if money is more important than him, if money is more important than Jesus, everything else in life is going to unravel. He, he knows this. Isn't, because isn't it difficult to put Jesus first? Now, I know some of the holy people in the room are like, absolutely not. I will always put Jesus first. Okay, but for those of us who struggle, for those of us who have really dealt with temptation, isn't it hard to put Jesus first all the time? I mean, if you're in business, isn't it difficult to be ethical and to follow Jesus when you see other people doing unethical things and getting ahead? When they're doing things that are, quote, legal, but unethical? How about those of us that have jobs? Isn't it difficult to keep Jesus first when you see people in the workplace being unethical and being shady and getting bonuses because of what they have figured out they can do? What about relationships? Isn't it difficult sometimes for Jesus to be first in relationships? Our divorce rate as a nation, our divorce rate as people tells us that it's difficult. And this is no shade on anybody who has experienced a divorce. It's saying that divorces happen really because, like, 
irreconcilable differences are unable to be overcome. Abuse, sin, troubles. This is not to throw shade at anybody, it's, but it's just to prove, like, have y'all figured out that we humans are difficult to live with? We all have opinions. We all have wants and we all have needs and we all have things from our past that creep up and make their way into our future. We all have issues and we all have things that need to be resolved. Jesus has a very specific guidance on love and what it means to like, like care for each other. It's a high bar. Isn't it difficult to love your enemy? Isn't it difficult to put Jesus as first in our life? when we completely disagree morally with the person running for office. Isn't it difficult to keep Jesus as number one Lord in our life with our money? Because aren't we just tempted to consume it all? It's difficult to put Jesus first in our life when we are driven by so many other things. Success, money, and the number one area that people struggle with when it comes to putting Jesus first in their life is money, without a doubt. And I say to you, they just want your money. I'm telling you, Jesus doesn't want your money. Jesus wants your heart. Jesus wants your life. And all these things, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all all his righteousness and all this stuff, all these things will be added unto you. See, the goal of a fully devoted follower of Christ is that Jesus is Lord of all. Because if Jesus isn't Lord of all, he isn't Lord at all. If Jesus isn't Lord of all, he'll be number two, he'll be number five, he'll be number eight. And you can't serve both God and whatever is competing for number one. Now, now you, you can't put both, both things first. And I thought, of, like, what's a really holy, righteous, upstanding way for us to, what's a good metaphor, what's a good picture for, for us to get this in a way that really captures God's heart? And I thought of college basketball, and I thought of rivalries. So, like, nobody can be a Duke fan and a Carolina fan at the same time. This, this is from Scripture right here. You can quote me on it. Nobody can be, you can't serve both, you can't be in both, both camps. And if somebody that is a Duke fan says, you know, I really want Carolina to win today. No, that's evil. Demon, cast it out. That you, don't, you can't live this way if you're a Duke fan or a Carolina fan. You just can't because you, if you're a Carolina fan, you always want to see Duke lose. You want to see Duke lose to a JV squad of like, like they just learned what a basketball was yesterday. If you're a Duke fan, you want to see Carolina lose to a senior citizen, intramural, whatever. And even though I'm a diehard Tar Heel fan, here's the thing. I want, the, I want Carolina to win, and I want everybody at Duke to hate us. It's part of the deal. If I meet a Duke fan that's like, yeah, I'm a Duke fan, but you Carolina fans are all right, shut your mouth. No, Carolina fans are evil. And I don't care. Yeah, okay. Then what? And I don't care what the rivalry is, okay? It could be Cowboys and uh, Commanders now. It could be Ohio State and Michigan. It could be, you know. It could be West Stanley, you know, whatever. It's like if you, if you can't have both, 
And Jesus says this. He says, you will be devoted to one or the other. Now, how can we tell where we're devoted? Because you're, you're going to have your heart in one place or the other. And God gave us a way to put one above the other. Back to the thing Jesus said about tithing. When Jesus said, yeah, you should tithe, it's an indication of where your heart is. Now, these religious leaders, they were doing that part of the heart, but they were neglecting justice and compassion and faith and love. But tithing is a very specific way that we, we have to show in our lives if God is first or not. And it's a high bar. I get it. Some of y'all have been like in life for decades and you've gotten to this certain place in, in, your, in your career and you're like, you're telling me 10% of what I make today is supposed to go to the church or to God or to, you know, you're telling me 10%, 10% is supposed to go to charity. That's like, yeah, that's exactly what I'm telling you. You're like, before tax or after tax, whichever one you want God to bless. Yeah, it's a high bar, and I get it. I've talked to families before, and like I've come to them, and they said, this is too hard of a teaching. This is too high of a bar. You know what I've said? I'm like, I know the bar is high. I know it. And I'm not condemning you to hell if you're not hitting the bar. Tithing is not going to send you to heaven or to hell. What it's going to do is it's going to reprioritize your life. You're going to learn to live on less. You're going to learn to be generous. You're going to actually be a part of the blessings of God. When you see that five pastors are released in India, yeah, you probably praise God for that, even if you don't give to that mission. But when you give to that mission, your heart is tied to that freedom. When you give to Convoy of Hope, your heart is tied to the relief that is coming there. When you give to the missionaries, when you give to the next-gen stuff here around our church, your heart is tied to that stuff. And so here's the question. Where's your heart? It's, it's, this is not a guilt thing. It's, it's just like, let's, let's just put it in perspective. Where's my heart? It's not talking down to anybody. It's not condemning anybody. Here's what I believe. I believe people in our church desperately want to see a move of God in this county and in this world. I believe people in this church, I believe people in the churches in our county desperately crave for an outpouring of revival. Desperately seek and want the things of God. And the thing, and we're not the first generation to want this. But the thing we keep coming back to is our own lives, our own gardens, our own homes. Occasionally, I'll meet somebody that says, well, I don't tithe because that's an Old Testament law thing. I live according to grace. I don't think that Old Testament stuff applies to the New Testament church. I, I, I go along with the New Testament and the thinking of grace. And whenever I have somebody say that to me, I have a few things to say to that person. So if you're thinking of saying this to me and coming up to me in the lobby, let's just cut to that conversation right now, okay? Here's what I usually say to that person. I say, okay, you have said to me, you don't give according to Old Testament tithe stuff, you're more into the grace of the New Testament. First statement, you are most likely educated in the Bible way beyond your level of, of, of obedience. You don't, and I don't mean this in a condescending way, but you have not internalized and know, known the scriptures like you think you know the scriptures. Grace 
always gives more than the law requires. Grace always gives more. Under the law, the lamb's blood was required. Under grace, it's the blood of a human, Jesus Christ, that is required. So don't you dare use grace as an excuse to offer God your leftovers. Don't do that. And that sounds pretty harsh. I kind of meant it to. Because grace is not a laughing matter. It's not something that we treat with frivolity. I understand some people think that the Old Testament law is more myth than principle. Well, myth busters beware because Matthew chapter 23, there's a reason we use that today. Because Jesus said, you should tithe. And those aren't my words, they're his words. And then there's usually some cynics that are like, well, this church just wants my money. Yeah, that's the title of the sermon. They just want my money. And if you think like my sermon and my heart and this whole thing is about, we've got to squeeze more money out of people into this church, then here's what I challenge you with. I invite you to begin tithing at another church. I invite you to begin tithing and giving to another church. Just start. Because this whole tithing and this whole heart thing is not a religious competition. That's what was happening in Matthew 23. I want you to do this so bad because as your pastor, I want you to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. I want you to have Jesus in the seat and the place where he is Lord of all. Because if he isn't Lord of all, he's not going to be Lord at all in your life. And I want that for you more than this church or this place wants any dimes out of your account. This is not about trying to squeeze more out of the members or out of the, out of the wallets or anything like that. I'm not making you hold your wallet up and lay it on the altar. It's not a bad practice because, I, I mean, like the, the symbolism is there. But if this is not a church where you can trust and give and grow and tithe, then you need to find the church where you can do that because you're missing out on the abundant life of Jesus. And I've got board members who are glaring at me right now going, what are you doing? <laughs> no! <laughs> nah, nah, they're with me. Oh, I say this because I want you to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus, not a fully devoted fan of this church. Yeah, we got Albemarle First Assembly shirts. Who cares? They look great when our volunteers wear them and when the people who serve wear them. They identify as people. I see them out in public sometimes. But gang, we're not building a brand. Jesus is building his church. We're trying to fall in line with that. Being a fully devoted follower of Jesus means getting planted into the church of Jesus. Buying into the church of Jesus. And being a part of the forward movement of that church. I want to invite the band back up. This series isn't about God getting your money. It's about God getting your life and your heart. If we're going to say that Jesus is Lord of all, then we have to settle the money issue. I'm so glad that the love of Jesus wasn't limited to 10%. I'm glad that Jesus wasn't limited to the tithe. And he could only give 10% of our salvation to us. I'm glad that Jesus' love was unlimited by grace. Jesus died to set us free in every area of life. Patterns of sin, damaging emotional effects, abuse and rage, 
financially. It's time to nail this issue and own it. For some of us, it's time to reevaluate and look at that relationship we have with Jesus right now. Like right, right now. If you need Jesus, to be the number one like place in your life again. If you need to make it right with Jesus. If you need to look at where your heart has been. And maybe the issue has been like money for you. Maybe the issue has been tithing and trust and you have some work that you need to do there. I want I want to encourage you not to take the words from a servant and just let them live in the abstract world where you're considering unendingly. But to take the words that Christ and his word and his spirit are speaking and to let them take root. And if it's a trust issue, then you work on the trust. But if you need to make it right with Jesus, you can begin today. I want to close with this question. In your life, where does he rank? In your life, where does he rank? Would you stand with me? Just close your eyes for a minute. Just stand and close your eyes. We're going we're gonna to pray. We're going to sing a chorus. We're going we're gonna to get through these next few minutes. But with your eyes closed, answer this question. Where is Jesus ranked? Because if he's not Lord of all, then eventually he won't be Lord at all. Jesus doesn't want your money. He's offering you his life. There's many of us today who'd say, man, I want Jesus to be Lord of all, especially in my money. That's you, just hands out in front with your palms facing up. I want to pray over you. In the name of Jesus, God's Son, I pray over you this desperate desire, this desperate life-changing hope. I pray blessing and fulfillment in this desire that you have. I pray that God's Holy Spirit awakens within you and quickens within you. Not only his words, not only his commands, but he shows you the beauty of this life that he's building in you. There's some of us today that's like, Jesus, Lord of all, Man, i got to get a lot of things right in order for that to happen. You don't know how far away I have strayed. You don't know how much I've done. You don't know what I did last night. You don't, there are so many things I've got to get right for Jesus to be the Lord of my life. And here's what I want to say to you. I want to say that Jesus fulfilled the law. The only thing that you have to do is to start following him. It's not complicated, but it will change your life. It's not simplistic, but it is very simple. If you'd say, you know what, Nate, today, Jesus needs to be Lord of my life. I need to make that right. I need to follow this Jesus. If that's you, really quick, just eye contact or a hand in the air, get my attention. Say, pray for me. Yeah, that's me. I see you, buddy. I see you. Who else? Anybody else? I got to make things right with Jesus. Looking across this room. Nate, pray for me. Jesus hasn't been Lord of all. I need to start following him. And he needs to be Lord of all today. Anybody else? All right, then pray with me, if only for this one. Dear Jesus, 
Dear Jesus, you're a savior. I'm a sinner. Be Lord of all. I give you everything in my life. I give you my heart, my desires. I believe you died. I believe you lived again. Oh, Jesus, live in me. My thoughts, my actions, how I love. Be number one in my life, God. Bring me to conviction in every temptation. I submit my life to you to follow you so I can love you, so I can serve you, so you can live through me. In the name of Jesus, we pray and all God's people say amen. Can we thank God for the-